Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Dev Life series. Hello and welcome to Codish. I'm Charlie Gleason. I'm a designer and developer uh, at Heroku, and I'm here with uh, my friend and co-worker, Chris Castle. Chris, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I am developer advocate for Heroku, Chris Castle, and uh, we've got we've got a fun fun little episode to, to do today, right? Oh yeah, I should say it is it is December thirty first. It is the last day of two thousand nineteen, which is wild because I don't know when that happened, but it did. Uh, and it is also our drum roll, drum roll, drum roll fiftieth episode. <laughs> The crowd in the background. People are, I mean, do you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. We can't believe it. Um, just want to say a massive, massive thank you to everyone who's taken the time. Um, whether you started listening in the very first episode or if, if you're only just joining us, it, uh, it really does mean the world to us. And um, we're super excited to continue bringing uh, more stories, more tips, more tools, more, more everything. So thank you very much. Uh, so, Chris, why are we here and what are we talking about? <laughs> so, we are talking about kind of a, a fun little project. So I was chatting with uh, Jennifer, who helps us manage all these podcasts that we do for Codish, and uh, Hi, Jennifer <laughs> was was saying, uh, you know, with no intention of making this into a podcast about how um, I have this this two year old nephew now, and he loves pushing buttons and turning switches on and off, turning lights on and off, and likes to command other people to do the same. And at the same time, I had started playing with this thing called a puck.js, which is built off of Espruino, which is effectively like a, an Arduino-like environment, but um, you can program these little little pieces of hardware using JavaScript. So I was playing with that with, with uh, Julian, the other developer advocate. Um, we, had, we each had bought a couple of these things to see if we could do anything fun with them um, for, for work stuff. But... Uh, Castle, my my nephew, uh, his excitement about pushing buttons so much um, made me realize that hey, maybe I'm just I just gonna start playing with this thing and make something. Anyway, so he and his his parents uh, got a Christmas tree a couple weeks ago and they put lights on it. Um, and as I said, I'd been playing with this Puck.js thing, uh, which really so it's a programmable programmable Bluetooth button. Um, you can program it with JavaScript. Um, and so I decided to program it to turn his Christmas tree lights on and off, uh, which I have since shown him this morning, actually. And his arms were flapping in the in the air. He was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they were flapping. I got this like this $20. whole thing. I mean, this is like the cutest. <laughs> everything about this is cute. It's it's all uh, good. It's I cute got this all the twenty dollar Bluetooth power outlet on Amazon, um, which came with some app that was like I don't know, made some somewhere. You know, with, and not much like English language directions or, or like instructions on how to use it. So you have to download this uh, this app, and it pairs with this Bluetooth outlet that can turn the power on and off. Um, spent some some time reverse engineering it, uh, like figured out how to snoop uh, or, or sniff like Bluetooth going through the air, and uh, figure out how like what commands the app was sending to the outlet to turn it on and off, um, and then. 
programmed the, the puck.js to do the same thing. So when he pushes this button, uh, the puck.js really is just like, it's this one inch circle um, that you just push it and it has some LED lights on it too. Um, and it has a little um, system on a chip built into it that is a CPU, but also is a Bluetooth chip. So that was cool. I made that little thing for him. His arms flapped in the air. He loved it. <laughs> but then I will, uh, I I will put a link to that in the uh, in the show notes as well to PuckJS because it is quite cool. Yeah, PuckJS. Uh, the flapping cool. arms, it's so good. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can get a good like um, animated GIF or something of him pushing the buttons and be, being really excited, <laughs> uh, showing the lights going on and off. But then I wanted to like you know share share this project with others, and so I decided I needed to create a website. Um, as I mentioned, his first name is Castle, and so I bought Castle dot Christmas. Uh, as a, you do, as you do, is a really really <laughs> great domain, <laughs> and uh, decided to build a website so that you know when they find this like this little white like plastic button a year from now, they're like, what was this thing? I forgot how to how it works, what it does, how do I connect it to the tree? And so on the website, I'm going to put instructions of like uh, like what is this thing. Um, but I also yeah. decided to take it to the next level and try to do something I've never really done before, which is, is do some kind of pseudo design work with SVG art. I like that you said that in a year, a year when they find it, cause it's a low power Bluetooth, right? So it will probably still be yeah. going. Right. The yeah. The puck.js, it says on the site that it will last for a year. Um, or they expect it to last for about a year with with one coin cell battery. Yeah, because it uses mm. Bluetooth low energy. So it's cool. So yeah, there's this <laughs> tons of side project work that I've taken on in the last few weeks of the year during holiday time and, and family time. It's funny, I have done a couple of Kurdish uh, podcasts, and I think I always end up talking about in some way or bringing up uh, side projects or one-off projects or like vignettes. Yeah. Cause I just think they are um, much like a, a two, two year old uh, flapping their arms around just the purest expression of joy. And yeah. I really like them. And uh, I think it's fairly well documented <laughs> at yeah. this point, but I know that feeling of like, when you get something in your head that you think, gosh, I, I would love to just, I don't know, take, take this thing that I've done or this idea that I had or this, this kind of idle thought and then just keep kind of pushing that. Be like, all right, cool, I made, I made a Christmas tree, do a thing um, using hardware, which I think is also being um, people that work primarily in the digital space always wild because it's so rare that we get opportunities to see the things that we make in a physical. Like I was, I'm really terrified yeah. that if electricity stops working, um, <laughs> a lot of what I've spent my life on uh, – will also stop working. So that's terrifying. Yeah. If there's um, an elect EMP, electromagnetic pulse, like, right? All of our, yeah. everything that we've made in our life will just disappear. I know, right? And I have no <laughs> other skills. Like, where really? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I cannot change a tire. But uh, I really like that kind of idea of then taking that physical hardware and then what you're planning to do with it, like uh, what you're doing and have done with it and are continuing to do with it is, is to like bring that physical hardware back into um, this uh, web interface, this web app that you're then able to like interact with. And um, by extension, your nephew is able to then interact with and then kind of relive Christmas at any time of the year using a thing that, that, that keeps going, which I just think is, yeah, it's very, it's cute all the way. Like (laughs) it's (laughs) great. For those of you that maybe maybe you're listening in the car and you can't, you know, pull up Castle Christmas right now, 
I'll, I'll describe it briefly to you. It's a very, very simple scene of a, a room that you see uh, that, th- that loads on the web page. Um, and there's a Christmas tree there. And you click the Christmas tree. And this is all SVG art. You click the Christmas tree and the lights come on virtually. So, so there's like there's no connection here between the, like the physical the puck.js and the the real Christmas lights, and this little website. But yeah, it's like a little, it's like a little like relive Christmas thing. Um, it's also like a little a way for me to like share with other people something I've built, um, but then also will serve the practical purpose of instructions for um, Castle's parents next year when they're like, what is this thing? How does it work? What what does it yeah. do? So like an interactive user manual. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Interactive docs. (laughs) Yeah, like an interactive, delightful, like entertaining user manual. I love it. I mean, I think there's also, there's something really joyful about using technology to delight in that way, especially the idea that you have put all this work into something like reverse engineering this little piece of hardware in order to get someone else excited and hopefully inspired by technology, right? Even at a really young age to see like, oh, my uncle did this thing. Yeah. And uh, he's obviously magic because it's, uh, <laughs> you know, he made the Christmas yeah. tree turn on and off. Like, I think at this point he thinks that. this is what the world is like, but yeah, I hope <laughs> yeah. he's like, th- that's cool. Yeah. I hope it, I hope it inspires. And for me, it's like, I don't know, like we work in technology, right? And we, the purpose of the technology that we do in our job is to help businesses. But working in tech or, or like software or coding has always been a lot, is much more than that for me. I don't have very many, what I would call like artistic skills, whether it's drawing or creating music or dancing, any, <laughs> any, any artistic expression. Um, and so in some ways, and maybe it's strange or maybe it's not, I kind of feel like building little things like this and solving little problems and, and creating like little delightful experiences to, for me is kind of like, is my artistic expression or some sort of emotional expression um, that, you know, I otherwise don't get because I, I have trouble making real art, I guess. I would call this real art. I mean, that's the thing though. I know what you mean. <laughs> like, like if you, people need, need outlets for, that side of themselves, whether or not it's something that they feel like is fully developed or not. Like, I think everyone has some thing that they can create, something inside them that that can inspire them to create. And I think that's a really nice thing. Do you know what I mean? Not to be too saccharine about it, but like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really great quality to explore, even if it's not something that you're doing in like more of a traditional, um, I just bought a giant canvas and I'm going to paint something way. But in... Right taking the skills that you have and, and using them in a way that feels fun or enjoyable that you, that you get excited about, like finding the thing that you feel passionate about. Yeah, totally. And it's end purpose is not like a, a business purpose. It's more of an, a, a human purpose um, or human connection or human emotion purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask a little bit about the reverse engineering of Puck, just to be a little bit nerdier, uh, the reverse engineering of Puck.js and and what that process was like and um, maybe like any of the tools that you used or how you went about doing that. Because I think uh, when things don't work, I usually panic. So the idea of, (laughs) I find it really fascinating that you like dug in and thought, all right, cool, I'm going to work out how this is communicating and then I'm going to, then I'm going to make it do the thing I want to do. It was pretty fun. Um, Like any good, 
uh, software engineer. All research started with Google, um, random Google searches and trying to refine, like, how do I figure out about Bluetooth low energy and how it communicates? Um, Because there are a couple things I needed to figure out. One was what sort of API does the puck.js provide in JavaScript to communicate with Bluetooth? It abstracts away or it gives you a kind of a higher level interface to do Bluetooth stuff than than like working in C or C++ or something like really, really low level. Um, so that's nice, but you're also kind of more limited in the things you have to do. So I had to figure out like the capabilities of the puck.js in speaking Bluetooth to other things. And then I went a little on a, a bit too much, probably of a tangent of like reading the, the Bluetooth low energy spec and figuring out um, uh, like what is the structure that these things use to communicate with each other? What's like, what are the data structures that they use or expect on in each other to find in each other? And then the third thing was like, okay, I've got this, like the, I had, I bought four different Bluetooth, uh, power outlets. So I spent like a hundred bucks on Amazon, bought four different Bluetooth power outlets. It was actually hard to find Bluetooth only ones. A lot of them are Wi-Fi connected these days. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I bought four different ones thinking that like, hopefully one of these I'll be able to figure out. And I actually started with this one, uh, switched to a different one and then came back to this one, realizing that this was going to be the easiest one. There's like some sort of authenticate, like this one has no security. The one I'm using has no like security or authentication or encryption in it. So it's simple (laughs) to reverse engineer. Sure. Um, One of the other ones had like more security built into it. And that uh, looked a lot more complicated to, to back out of. So, what I had to do, like I had to figure out like what Bluetooth commands the iPhone or Android app provided by the um, Bluetooth outlet maker. Um, I had to figure out what commands it was sending to the to the plug and like how it connected to that plug. I struggled for a bit in just, in like trying to guess, uh, trying to Google search and figure out what was it, what like was there a standard way that Bluetooth outlets communicate. And it looks like there is a standard way, but but I think a lot of uh, these hardware makers and app makers just decide to make up their own protocol or schema or or language to communicate back and forth between the app and the outlet. Sure, like that XKCD comic about standards, which I will also yeah, link to exactly in the show notes. <laughs> but the idea that everyone's like, ah, oh, we don't have a standard. Let's right. just make, Let's make one now, one. and then you just end up with another thing that's not a standard. Yeah, yeah, totally. So. What I actually ended up having to do is that from a actually a previous side project, I had uh, an Android device sitting around my house, um, like a cheap Android phone. Um, apparently, there's like a developer mode on Android devices where you can tell the device to log all of the incoming and outgoing Bluetooth messages to a file, which oh, you can wow. then copy to your computer and open up in Wireshark. Um, and Wireshark is a pretty well-known um, GUI for um, investigating and kind of debugging uh, lower-level like network communication or Wi-Fi communication. It knows how to kind of like deconstruct the the frames or the packets and kind of tell you, give you a little bit more information about what's going on um, in all of that communication that it's reading. So I use this Android device um, that I had lying around from a previous like car hacking project that I had done and um, turned on Bluetooth logging or Bluetooth sniffing, opened up the app for the power outlet and then like toggled the power outlet on and off a few times. Oh, nice. And then yeah. tur- turned off the Bluetooth logging, 
copied that file over to my laptop, opened it up in Wireshark. And then there was a lot of noise in there. So I kind of had to like guess a few times as to like which of these like commands is, is the right one to turn the outlet on and off. And then it was just trial and error from there, like copying the command from Wireshark into the little puck.js uh, development environment in JavaScript and seeing what happens. No. So that took half a day to figure that out. Once I like settled on this one outlet, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, sure. I thought it was going to get a lot more complicated, but um, I was able to like pin down the two commands, the on command and the off command, and uh, just hard code those into the the JavaScript that I that you then upload to the the puck.js. And so that part is actually the simplest bit that's happening right now. The the more complex bit is just like all the error catching and handling of um, like, oh, you're out of range from the device uh, or you've tried once and something failed, so you got to try again. Like there's just lo- a lot of like edge cases that I had to write like 100 lines of code for, whereas like the meat of the really controlling turning the device on and off is like five lines of code. <laughs> that's always the way, right? Because I was thinking about that with... Um... I guess it's part of why I like starting things in maybe like a CLI kind of environment mm-hmm. where it's like, cool, can I just curl this thing? And if I curl this thing, will it do the thing that I want it to do? And you're like, yeah. cool, that works. This is a great idea for something. And then you you kind of go through the weird boilerplate repetitive part of just like setting up the stuff that just surrounds that one <laughs> command right. yeah, that totally. you're running. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, boy. And then the other thing I ran into, so so I showed up uh, last night in New York. Uh, they they live in New York here, and uh, it was late at night. He was sleeping. Um, he woke up this morning, and I gave him a little button, and his arm started flapping, and he was pushing pushing it a lot. And like immediately, like within three minutes, he had already like re- revealed some bugs and and issues that I need to figure out because you know, like any good two year old, he's like he pushes the button. The, it takes one to three seconds for the Christmas tree lights to turn on because it has to like connect. It's Bluetooth low energy. It's like it, you know, it, it takes its time between transmissions and it has to connect to the, the plug and then kind of enumerate or iterate through these like different uh, hierarchies of, of data structures in the device and then actually send the right command, the like right turn on or right turn off. So it takes one to three seconds from when you click to the lights go on. But that's too long for a two-year-old. So he's like mashing the button <laughs> tons and tons of times and um, kind of making a mess of my JavaScript. <laughs> I feel like that is also indicative of my behavior when things uh, don't work as quick. <laughs> I don't know. I am also yeah. a two-year-old. <laughs> What's going on? Just just push the button more frequently and harder. And yeah. I'm sure that'll fix it. It's yeah. science. In some ways, like it makes sense, right? Like you turn a light switch on on the wall or you plug something in and the lights turn on right away. So, you know, he had been conditioned in his two years of life to expect that, which which makes sense. You push a button, it just the light should go on. Yeah. If it doesn't, you push it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was good. I mean, it's like with with anything you build, you know, whether it's for fun like this or for a business, like there's so much you learn from actually putting it in front of the human it is intended for mm. or the, like the, the purpose it's intended for. Like the thing that you're building is so much better once you've had someone else 
play with it and touch it and give you feedback and you've incorporated that feedback into it. Yeah. Um, when absolutely. you're kind of stuck in your own head for, for too long, um, you're, it's easy to miss things that other people think are, are like trivial or simple or the way things should work. Yeah. It's funny you should say that actually, cause there was a, um, in my personal time, I really like creative coding. I'm a really big fan of creative coding. And so mm. um, a couple of years ago, I made a library called Sandpit.js and it was essentially meant to be um, a Sandpit for simplifying the boilerplate parts of creative coding. And it had some hooks that I thought made it unique and I was really proud of it and I worked very hard on it. And then um, a lot of stuff got in the way, just like having a job and a life and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, it kind of stagnated for a long time. And then yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I was working on something around WebGL and depth maps uh, with a friend of mine to talk about at a creative coding event in London. And um, we were trying to work out a way to uh, basically draw something on a canvas and like grab it. That's all we wanted to do. Grab the, the image data and, and nothing else. Uh, beyond that, it turns out it's really hard to find like very, very simple drawing tools that aren't in a language already, like in a framework already, sorry, like um, like React or Vue, mm. and we weren't using those things. Yeah. It all felt like it was a lot of boilerplate. So I was like, wow, what can I just drop in? And so anyway, it turns out Sampit actually did come in handy again. But it was so funny because I wrote the docs for that. I wrote the library, and it is very clear coming back to it a year later that that was written by a person who fundamentally uh, understood what was going on and expected everyone else would too. And then yeah, right. <laughs> trying to use it, I came totally unstuck. Like my the docs were, were terrible and I was always slightly disappointed it didn't get more yep. traction. No, if it's six months later, it's effectively a different person. It's like future Charlie versus past Charlie. You're yeah. in a completely different mindset, a frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it was it was fun to do. Yeah, I, I've got actually some time now uh, over the holidays to um, take a break from family time and do some debugging and make the lights flash a little bit more. I'm, my, my approach to dealing with his multiple button mashing is one, to make it tolerant of that so that it can it can handle multiple button mashes before the lights turn on or off. Yeah. But also, um, there are three LEDs. There's a, a red, green, and blue LED on the puck, and so I'm going to make them like light up and do some fun, like light dancing or something like that, to hopefully distract him so that he doesn't mash it as much. <laughs> um, not really for a purpose, because I'm going to handle the mashing um, in, with code, but more just to like entertain or see see what else I can add to it. Uh, because I have to jump back into the code anyway to deal with the handling the mashing. Yeah, because I suppose you could debounce that if you know like an average time that it would take. Or actually, you could say from the moment, I suppose, that the device receives a, a message to do something to turn on, that it can't yeah. be turned off until, you know what I mean, so you don't end up with conflicting yes. messages. Because um, there, there is a debounce just because you, you need that with hardware buttons in, in general. Because um, sometimes, you know, when, when a human clicks a button um, and you there's like the click down and then the, the let go and there's often like with just hardware and analog signals in general sometimes things bounce around so there is like a, a lower level I guess debounce of like 50 milliseconds um, <sighs> but then I think yeah also we'll have just like set a lock or a variable that says okay it's been clicked once uh, but the lights haven't been turned on yet 
ignore any future clicks you get until the lights are successfully turned on and then you can start listening to for new clicks again i like it i like the way live code reviewing your (laughs) project (laughs) it's like rubber ducking at a grand scale (laughs) but yeah i was gonna say um i mean we were talking about like as as primarily a software developer um hardware has been like a whole new thing Mm. um that I've been playing with hardware maybe for 10 years or so off and on. But um, if you break hardware, you can't just restart it. You need to go get uh, new hardware if you've like fried the hardware. Mm. Um, And it just opens up this like this so many different like layers of complexity in how users interact with the hardware also. Because there's not just the software, but there's this hardware piece too. It's kind of like the... The hardware is the UI. You could think of like the hardware is the GUI. Um, the physical world is the GUI, and then there's the software underneath it. So maybe it maybe that it is similar to software in that way, and that there's like a view layer and then a controller or a model layer or something like that. But yeah, I had the my first experience with all this stuff was was um, adding a bunch of sensors to a kegerator as part of a, a work project with a well a side project with coworkers. <laughs> The one that we bought also had a tap built into the top of it. Oh, wow. So, um, and actually it came with a tank. So you, you know, you have a, a tank that provides pressure for, uh, for the, the beer in the keg and then you pull the tap handle and the beer comes out. Right. Uh, but that wasn't good enough. Like we wanted to add technology to it. So, um, we were playing with Arduinos then this was, yeah, about nine, eight years ago. Um, and uh, also purchased like a food safe flow meter for fluid that we put into the line, the beer line, so we could measure the volume of each pour of beer. And then what was the other stuff? Oh, so there was a card scanner too, RFID card scanner. Oh my gosh. So that you, you had to have uh, one of the approved cards in order to um, dispense beer. So there was a solenoid also in the in the line, and the solenoid would open and close depending on your um, uh, if you had a, an approved RFID card. Sure, scan. understandable. And then a thermometer. And that was it. So those three sensors all attached to an Arduino, wow. and then it would it would it would push data. It would just make HTTP requests up to this little like um, Node.js API server in in the cloud, and. Uh, we had we created dashboards and data about like who was drinking the most and how much beer they were pouring and like which beers people liked the most or seemed to drink the most. Oh, and, wow. and so this was like this was painful also in that. So when you put stuff in the line in a beer line um, that disrupts the flow of beer, such as a flow meter, like a spinning little propeller, sure, or a solenoid that opens and closes it disrupts the flow of beer and more often than not makes all of your beer come out as foam instead of (laughs) nice liquid tasty beer (laughs) so we had a foam problem with the kegerator um and there were lots of other problems too like oh what happens if the network connection goes down or what happens if it loses power or the rfid scanner like dies then people can't drink their beer and we found that people get really pissed off even if they're like developers and they love nerding out on technology when they want to drink a beer on the end of the day at the end of the day on friday they're like i don't care about your project chris i just want to drink a beer Um, so uh there was lots of fury um sent our way 
because we were standing between them and well, Arduino and and foam was standing between them and their beer. Well, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh man. Uh, but it was fun. It was a fun project. I actually presented it. I got invited to present it at Cascadia JS, the first going of of Cascadia JS in 2012. Um, and so got to share it there kind of as like a fun project at the end of Cascadia JS. And, uh, um, yeah, lots of people, everyone was like, how do I get one for myself? Can I make one? (laughs) Um, uh, so it was cool to see all the excitement. I love it. it. That's great. It's funny as well because, uh, you and I know each other, I would say quite well, personally, uh, you're great. Yeah. Uh, outside of just talking on podcasts and at work. And I did not know about (laughs) this project and I am, this is the most Chris Castle project I've (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ever heard of like it's 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 incredible i i love it we'll we'll link to the uh we can link to the slides yeah from my presentation at cascadia js in the show notes absolutely it'll be in the show notes um i had a look at them as well and it's like <laughs> youthful castle as well it's, it's incredible it's well worth checking out um, <laughs> back in my skinny days and fit days <laughs> uh so one thing i was going to talk about as well is you kind of um alluded at the very start that um you were going into this uh as a as a piece of design and it wasn't necessarily something you were that comfortable uh with which is always like the most unnerving part i think of a project is like this is doing the bit that you're not comfortable with you know it's like if you if yeah. you're building something like this and you didn't really uh feel that comfortable jumping into like the, the the guts of a of a bluetooth device that may be that bit but for you that bit was this this kind of design aspect so i'd love to hear more about like the decisions yeah. you made i know that you built the app we talked a little bit about it before you built it but you were looking at a couple of different options and yeah so that was so this is the website piece now castle.christmas yeah sorry with all gear change um, we're throwing the hardware <laughs> out the window yeah we are on the um, we're back where this we're is the website piece <laughs> yeah i wanted to you know it's for a two-year-old right so it can't be like a normal website it needs to be simple well it had a few purposes as we described earlier as i described earlier but I wanted Castle to flap his arms. <laughs> um, and, Understandably. Uh, <laughs> so uh, actually in a past work project uh, last month, I've been, we'd been working with some, a designer actually that is an amazing illustrator and uh, SVG artist and CSS wizard, Highland, if you're there. Uh, so I was a little bit inspired by her in thinking about like, okay, I got to make something visual Lynn makes it look so easy, so I'm sure I can figure it out. <laughs> no offense, but <laughs> I, uh, you know, I knew I'm not an illustrator. I'm not very good at drawing, so I went out and scoured the internet for uh, SVG art uh, or even SVG animations that other people had created, other artists had created, and um, uh, purchased like a whole bunch of different things. Uh, and then I sat down with a notebook and like scribbled out kind of tried to get something from my head on paper of like what I wanted it to look like. But then I needed something to like to build this in or some, some framework or tool or program or, or interface um, application to use to build this. Um, And the two that I ended up deciding between one was um, Greensock animation, something it's GSAP. And the other one is um, uh, hype. Uh, Greensock is really just a library for, web animation uh, whereas hype is a program you install on your computer and you can put svg or vector art on there and draw paths that it's going to move uh different art will move on you can like make something shrink 
uh, effectively like change the property, the, the CSS properties of things. And then hype figures out the, the tween or does the tween or the animation from like the, the state zero to the next state. Yeah. It's been around um, for a little while as well. I mean, I think it originally started, well, I know it originally started in, um, as a flash library. Oh really? Yeah. Back I in, I didn't even know that. Okay. I think yeah. it was actually action script too. I could be wrong. Um, so yeah, so you looked at GSAP, um, pretty low level. So I looked at GSAP and then I saw this like WYSIWYG, right? You could effectively say hype is more WYSIWYG. Like what you see is what you get tool. Um, being new to this animation stuff, I thought that was a better place to start. So that's what I went, jumped into, um, spent probably a full day, like a good eight hours, six, eight hours on, on getting just something super, super basic out, which Charlie has seen you click it, the lights turn on on the Christmas tree. And then, you know, I plan to refine it and make it a little bit better so that when you look at this listeners, it's maybe a little bit more interesting. So I got something, something working and something out. Um, but yeah, it took me quite a while just to kind of understand the concepts. Um, some of the concepts being standard web animation concepts, like, like HTML five and CSS three concepts, but some also being, um, concepts that hype uses to allow like people to understand and use their tool well. So that worked well. There's not a lot of animation there. So I wonder if like um, it might be overkill or hard to tune maybe if, if there was tons and tons of animation going on. Um, so for my simple purposes, it was great. Um, but I do want to check out Greensock because, you know, coming from more of a developer background, um, I'm now curious to see how the same thing would be built by writing code instead of kind of point and click and setting kind of timeline keyframes. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I think that's a really uh, interesting point as in terms of the cost of, of learning, right? If you, if you have a thing that you yeah. want to build, that kind of initial decision of the, the fork in the road of like, what tools am I going to use to do this um, has yeah. pretty profound effects on what, not just what gets produced, but how you go about producing it. So I think that would be a wild experiment. Yeah, and it's not like I mean that's a good uh, we could I feel like we could talk for hours just about that like choosing the tools to use for me at this stage of like n- never doing anything like this it seemed like a crapshoot like you know I I tried to understand as much as I could the differences between them and different types of tools but at some point I just had to decide and and commit to one and start building something sure, um, sure. but it just kind of speaks to the how valuable kind of wisdom and experience is. Um, very often I think people in our industry or like developers are like, I can figure out anything. I can learn whatever I need to and I'll figure it out and I'll build it, whatever. But wisdom and, and experience with tools and having used different types of tools and um, uh, having made those decisions and made the wrong decisions and suffered um, end up being super valuable and helpful. So yeah, that was fun. Um, masquerading as a designer for a little bit or, or like playing with the tools that people who work more uh, consistently in design get to play with all the time and kind of gain empathy maybe for, for what they do every day. Sure. I really actually, I've noticed that's a real movement at the moment. I really love it. I, um, over, uh, black Friday. Yeah. I, I grabbed a copy of, um, refactoring UI by, um, mm. Adam, uh, Wadham and Steve, uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name because I've only ever read it. Steve Schroed- <laughs> Schrodinger. Anyway, I, I kind of peeled off at the end there. So it sounds almost like I nailed it. But I'll, I'll, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'll put it in the show notes uh, because I, it's a really great example of their relationship. They talk a lot um, about how they, uh, one is a developer, one is a designer, and, and they collaborate a lot on getting better at their mutual craft. And then they've created a bunch of resources yeah. around like, okay, I'm a developer. How do I, how can I take a design and, and see the things in it that could be better? And I think, um, that's what I loved about when you were telling me about doing this project, being like, cool, well, I want to make a thing that, that is visually compelling. And how, how do I go about that? Where do I get started? Where do I find assets? What do I use? All that kind of stuff. I really liked it because I think um, more and more, I don't think you have to be everything all the time. I think that's an impossible goal. But I think um, in our industry, right. especially, I agree. it's really positive to at least have a an understanding and an empathy for what uh, other people are doing and the tricks that they might use and um yeah how you could maybe use them as well yeah i i agree or like the problems they may be running into what's stressing them out right it may seem something may seem trivial to you or you may not know how difficult it is for for them to figure something out or how easy it is on the converse side sure absolutely yeah it's a fun project uh, i'm gonna keep keep playing with it probably um kind of gift it to him for christmas and new year's and then know put it aside and find find another project absolutely i <laughs> i look forward to you messaging me and telling me about it when it happens because <laughs> that is 90 percent of our yeah, messages are like sure. i have this idea what do you think i'm gonna do this thing <laughs> <laughs> well it. if people want to check it out um castle.christmas and um like i've said throughout we will have <laughs> uh links to it in our in our show notes and links to all the things we've chatted about but i think that's that's pretty much pretty much everything we have for you on our landmark incredibly exciting 50th episode 50, yeah right 50th episode oh my gosh so i just yeah. want to say thank you again thank you thank you thank you to everyone who has listened who has talked about it um who has been on uh Kodesh, who has hosted it uh it's 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 definitely it takes a village and um i know that myself and the team uh behind the scenes uh are just super thrilled to have hit uh, 50 episodes and, and to have had some really incredible conversations with some really incredible people. And we're going to keep doing that. Yeah. Excited. Awesome. All right. Well, happy new year, cool. Chris. Yeah. Thanks. Happy new year to you also. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me. Please. Thank you for taking the time to chat about it and for sharing your project and, and uh, everything you learned from it. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, join us for the 51st episode coming soon in 2020. Yeah. Get ready. In the meantime, I will be flapping my arms like a two-year-old. <laughs> awesome. Cheers. Thanks, Charlie. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.